you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to Jonah chapter 4. What a way to end the book of Jonah. If you were writing a short story uh, to include in the Bible, would you end it this way? With the two main characters having a big argument? Maybe Flannery O'Connor would. And one of the characters in this argument is God, no less. No wonder this chapter doesn't make the cut in any of the children's books. When, when we tell the story of Jonah, we always tend to leave this part out. And yet, it's the point of the whole story. It's the point of the whole book. Without chapter 4, you miss the point of the book. But what a weird, disturbing ending. It's meant to make us really think. Chapter 4 begins with Jonah feeling that what God has done is very bad. And Jonah gets angry, so angry he wants to die. In fact, twice in this short chapter, Jonah wants to die. Just when we think Jonah's doing better, <laughs> that he and God are finally getting along, Jonah's doing better spiritually and emotionally, he's growing spiritually, we hit chapter 4 and it all seems to fall apart. On top of that, Jonah has another actual brush with death in this chapter. In the first chapter, it was drowning by sea or death by drowning in the sea. And in this chapter, it's the opposite. It's death by heat stroke and dehydration in the arid countryside. And make no mistake, we don't know, and the story doesn't tell us if Jonah lives or dies at the end. The story cuts off before we find out what happened to Jonah. The story ends with Jonah thinking what God has done is very wrong, very bad. It ends with Jonah arguing with God and God arguing back as Jonah is potentially dying of heat stroke, getting faint under the hot sun. What a rough ending. But none of these things is the biggest jolt in this chapter. The biggest jolt, I think, is in verse 2, which a lot of people take as the punchline of the whole book. Here Jonah admits he confesses why he was running from God in the first place. Why was he running away? Why did Jonah so badly not want to do what God told him to do, that he would rather die in the sea in chapter 1? Why? Because Jonah knows that God is a God of love and grace. And there's nothing Jonah wants less than to serve such a God. Just let that sink in for a moment. Jonah would rather die than serve a God of grace and mercy, a God who's scandalously compassionate. But before we write off Jonah as weird, or before we're too hard on him, let's walk through the story and see if what's true of Jonah might be true of us more than we realize. Because chapter 4 is supposed to be like a punch in the face for all of us. <laughs> like a hook punch that unexpectedly comes in from the blind side. Ready? <laughs> Here we go. When chapter 3 ends... Jonah has finally obeyed God, finally gone to Nineveh and delivered the message that God told him to proclaim there. The message was a warning that God was going to turn the city upside down. 
And in response, surprisingly, the people of Nineveh had repented. They had turned from their wicked ways. And make no mistake, Nineveh was a wicked city. These people were notorious in the ancient world for their cruel oppression, for their atrocities, for their war crimes. They were right up there with the Nazis or the Taliban or, dare we say, the Putin regime. And in the past, the Ninevites had threatened and oppressed God's people, Jonah's people, the Israelites, and they were still a threat. But at Jonah's proclaiming a simple one-sentence warning, the Ninevites had repented. They had turned from their wickedness with fasting. They had put on sackcloth. They had prayed to God. They had mourned. Amazing. They had soft hearts after all. They had humbled themselves. And so God relented. And God chose not to destroy them and not to punish them in the end. And then chapter 4 opens, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And Jonah became angry. And Jonah told God, verse 2, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home in my own land? Isn't this what I tried to forestall, to prevent by fleeing to Tarshish? Boom. Did you see this coming? Here we finally have the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And I don't know about you, but it's not what I assumed. So it wasn't because of fear that Jonah uh, didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. And it wasn't for the sake of Jonah's comfort that he didn't want to go. Jonah may have been wealthy and popular at home, but the inconvenience and discomfort of this arduous trip wasn't why Jonah didn't want to go. And it wasn't because of Jonah's personal plans and goals for his life. It wasn't that Jonah had a different plan and a different vision for his life and his career. No, the reason that Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh when God told him to go was because of Jonah's prejudice and hatred. I knew, God, he says, that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. God, that's why I didn't want to go and warn the Ninevites about your judgment. I was afraid if I did, they might heed my warning and you would forgive them. You would spare them. And that is what I absolutely could not agree to so much to so much so that I would rather have died first. Now, Lord, verse 3, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow, Jonah feels strongly, right? His worst nightmare has come true, and it's all God's fault. And Jonah's so angry at God, he wants to die. Now, let's try to get inside of Jonah's head and think why he might feel this way. Jonah's in Nineveh among his enemies, among his people's enemies, among the people he hates, he despises, and he's got good reasons. He remembers what they've done in the past. They're wicked. They're ruthless. They've made people suffer suffer his people, and they're pagan. They don't know God. They're godless people anyway, and yet nightmare of nightmares, here they are 
bending over backwards, telling Jonah's God, who they barely know that they're sorry, they're repenting, which is something Jonah's own people won't do. At this point in biblical history. And so even though the Ninevites don't deserve it, God has mercy on them, on the enemies of God's people. God doesn't send the calamity that God had said he would send. And where does that leave Jonah? Well, he's not going to stay in Nineveh. He hates these people. He can't get out of there fast enough. He warned them that in 40 days God would destroy them and they repented and nothing had happened after 40 days. Life went on as usual. And I don't know if that makes Jonah a hero in Nineveh or if they just figured Jonah was a false prophet sending a warning that didn't actually come true. But either way, Jonah's not sticking around to find out. But what does Jonah have to look forward to if he goes home to Israel? Hey, Jonah, where have you been? Ah, uh, I went to Nineveh to see our enemies. Why in the world did you go there? God told me to. Oh, well, what did you do there? I warned them God was going to destroy them. Oh, that's awesome, Jonah. Did God destroy them? Well, no, they sort of heeded my warning. They repented. They told God they were really sorry, and so God didn't destroy them. And so they're still there as big a threat to us as ever. What, Jonah? You went and helped our enemies not get punished by God? Did you at least warn them God will destroy them if they ever attack us again? Well, no, I didn't. I, I wanted to, but God wouldn't let me say anything other than the message he gave me to say. Let me ask you, how do you think people back home in Israel would feel about Jonah going and saving their enemies from God's destruction? Oh, great. Thanks a lot, Jonah. So you're on the side of the Ninevites now. And you're telling us God is too? That's offensive. That's seditious. That might be treasonous. Jonah doesn't want to go home and have any such conversations. He's so angry. He feels like God has ruined his life, ruined his career and his reputation as a prophet. So what does Jonah do now? He leaves Nineveh. He can't get out of there fast enough. But he doesn't go straight home. So he just sort of hangs around outside the city to see if anything will happen to it. And this actually in verses 5 and following is probably a flashback because it seems in verse 5, Jonah doesn't know yet if God will spare the city. So probably the 40 days haven't elapsed yet. And Jonah's probably still holding out hope that even though Nineveh's repenting, God will still destroy them after 40 days anyway, like Jonah warned. After all, they still totally deserve it. They still have it coming to them, and God hasn't made any promises that if they repented, he wouldn't destroy them. So Jonah goes outside the city to watch. He builds a shelter there. Now, interestingly, the text gives us some hints of how we're to view Jonah at this point. Because the text uses three key words that are also key words, interestingly, in the story of Cain, the first murderer after he killed his brother Abel. 
In Genesis 4, the story of Cain, God asked Cain, why are you so angry? Sound familiar? And then Cain went to the east, and Cain built a city. Why are you angry? To the east, city. We might be tempted to think these connections are just coincidence, but the authors of the Hebrew Scriptures, with them, almost nothing is a coincidence. They choose every word carefully. They craft their stories, and they love to make links like this to other stories. It's how they make their point without being preachy. Jonah's angry at God like Cain was. The story happens in the context of an eastern city. Jonah heads east like Cain, away from God's presence. And Jonah also complains to God like Cain does. In other words, Jonah is not in a good place. Jonah still holds out hope that God will destroy Nineveh. And so he hangs around in hopes that he'll get to see it. Now we get into the nitty-gritty details of Jonah's situation. Where he is is very hot. And evidently the sun is oppressively hot. So Jonah builds a shelter and sits in the shade it can offer. And then the first good thing in the whole story happens for Jonah. And it's a miracle and an object lesson from God for Jonah. Overnight, God causes a plant to grow up that's big enough with broad enough leaves to better shelter Jonah from the sun. And Jonah feels the shade. He feels the coolness. He feels the relief. And Jonah is genuinely happy. In fact, this is the first and only time in the whole story that we hear that Jonah is happy. And he's very happy about this plant. It seems like finally God cares for him. God does something good for him. I mean, sure, God sent the fish to save Jonah from drowning, but Jonah was still in a fish's stomach, right? That was terribly uncomfortable. That wasn't exactly happy. But now this plant, it's wonderful. This is kind of God. This is refreshing. It's like God's rewarding him for doing the job, for telling Nineveh. God's favor is once again on Jonah, and he's so happy. But how long does it last? Not very long. The very next day, the plant withers and dies, eaten by a worm. And now, not only is Jonah back in the heat and the sun, but evidently the shelter he'd built isn't very effective at keeping him shaded. And then to top it off, God sends a hot, dry east wind, and now Jonah is in serious trouble, actually. I don't know if you've ever been in a hot, dry climate without air conditioning without good shelter in the sun. Think sunburn. Think sunstroke. Think dehydration once your water's gone. Jonah is in big trouble here. He's growing faint. Literally, he could die out there. So much so that he wishes he would just die and get it over with. And it's at this point that God speaks to him. And God asks a question. God is a question asker, right? Often in the Bible, when God comes to people, it's not to chew us out or to condemn us. 
It's to engage us and to get us thinking by asking us questions. And so God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it is. I am so angry that I wish I were dead. God, are you just teasing me here? You grew up that plant to help me. I was finally happy. You were taking care of me. And then you yanked it away. Kind of like you said you were going to overthrow Nineveh. And I was so happy to be free of our enemies. And now it seems you're relenting. You're yanking that away from us too. Look at me here, God. I'm dying and your people, we're dying and I might as well be dead. I'm so mad and fed up with you. I don't want to live anymore. And God replies, take a look at your priorities, Jonah. Take a look at what's most important to you and what you most want from me. You're so concerned about the plant, so angry about losing it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't plant it. You didn't cultivate it. It came up one day as an undeserved gift. And then the next day it was gone. It was a gift for a day. A gift you didn't earn or deserve. And you're so angry you lost this gift. You're so concerned about yourself. You're the one who chose to be out here in the sun, Jonah. Waiting and hoping for the destruction of your enemies who you hate. And now you're concerned that that's not going well for you. And I'm not doing more to save you. You're so concerned about yourself. Shouldn't I be concerned too, God asks? Shouldn't I be concerned about a whole city of people? 120,000 people who don't know right from wrong, who have no moral guidance, who don't know their right hand from their left hand, not to mention many cattle, Jonah. You're concerned about a plant. Shouldn't I be concerned about all these animals in Nineveh? Don't I have a right to have compassion on them, to be gracious to them, to let them live and not destroy them? And then God drops the mic and the story's over. The curtain falls, the lights come up, that's the end. So question, why is this disturbing story in the Bible? What's God poking at here? What's God poking at in us? Jonah wants God to be gracious to him. Jonah sang a song of thanksgiving in chapter 2 when God saved him from drowning. He was very glad when God gave him the plant to ease his discomfort. Jonah wants God to forgive him, to be gracious to him. Jonah wants to be comfortable, wants to be blessed by God, wants to be cared for by God, even as he sits there and hates his enemies and wishes for their destruction. How about you? How about me? How do you feel about the bad guys? 
How would you feel if the Taliban and Iran continued to prosper? If they take over more of the Middle East, if they kill more innocent minorities, Christians among them? How do you feel about Russia invading the Ukraine? What if they cause oil prices to go sky high? If there's great inflation, if there's rising prices here that affect us, that make us uncomfortable? What if they invade other countries? What if China takes Taiwan and continues to prosper? How would you feel if the political party that you most dislike in this country continues to prosper and achieves its terrible agenda for this country? How would you feel if God has mercy on those you consider to be godless people? If God treats them with compassion, and as a result of them continuing to prosper, it makes things worse for you and those you love. Like your shady, comforting vine is withered and taken away. Would you be angry? Like Jonah? Some of us are angry already. We've been angry for years. Maybe not at God, but at our enemies or our country's enemies, at the bad people in our country, in our life. What if God is kind to them? What if God chooses not to thwart them or to punish them? What if God is not on our side? That's the issue for Jonah. Do you realize that? Israel, God's people, were deep into sin. They had been very unfaithful to God. And God was raising up Nineveh and Assyria to punish them. But Assyria is more wicked than Israel. And God, as Jonah, go to these enemies, these wicked people, and tells Nineveh to repent. But when they do... God doesn't punish them. Where does that leave Israel? They're in big trouble now. Nineveh, Assyria, is, is a big threat, and that threat will come to fruition if you keep re reading the story within a century. And God is not on Israel's side, even though he loves them and they're his people, because they've turned away from his side. God is not on the side of his own people when they turn, have turned away from him. And Jonah is so mad about it, he wants to die. He knows none of this means anything good for him personally or for God's people. After all, God's people won't repent, and so God won't bless or protect them. In fact, God goes on and has mercy on their enemies instead. Well, how about us? Is, is America following in the way of Jesus? Is the American church even following in the way of Jesus? Are we repenting of our complacency? Or of our desire for comfort and for prosperity and for success more than for faithfulness to Jesus? And if we're not repenting, what if God decides 
to go ask our enemies to repent? And what if he has mercy on them, those who oppose us? Or has mercy on that other political party? Would we be okay with that? Or would we be angry? That's God's question at the end of the book to Jonah and to us. Do we want God to be merciful only when it's mercy for us? Or do we realize that God reserves the right to be merciful toward anyone? No matter how godless, no matter how wicked, no matter how opposed to Christianity, if those people have a soft heart to whatever message God chooses to give them. Do we just want to enjoy God's grace for ourselves? Or do we realize God wants to show grace to the whole world? See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't just that God wants to forgive you and save you from your sins. Certainly it includes that. But the gospel is that God wants to forgive and save the whole world, including our enemies and the bad people. Even those who don't respond to God to the extent or in the way that we think they should. That's between them and God. It's none of our business. Just like it's none of Jonah's business, whether the Ninevites are worthy of God's mercy. Notice there's no evidence in Jonah that the Ninevites stop worshiping other gods. There's no evidence that they start keeping the Ten Commandments or start worshiping the true God. God doesn't ask them to do that. In fact, if you go back to chapter 3, God won't let Jonah tell them any of those things Jonah might want to tell them. All Jonah can do is warn them that God is going to destroy them in 40 days. And that's all it takes because of their soft hearts for them to repent. And so God relents. And the Ninevites, they haven't been converted, as far as we can tell. They're still pagans. They haven't been taught about the true God. It's just, for a moment anyway, they're pagans who are sorry for the evil things that they realize they've done, that they knew they had done evil. And that's enough for God to choose to be merciful to them and to their cattle. And Jonah, in good religious fashion, completely disagrees. But it's really none of Jonah's business. It's God's business. If God wants to be wildly and scandalously merciful, even to our enemies. And the book ends with God's question. God says, isn't that my right? Can't I be merciful to others if I want to be? So that's where we'll end our study of the book of Jonah. So let's end with our listening exercise, as we've been doing each week. If you've been journaling, taking notes, you might want to get ready to do that. And here's what I'd like to invite us to reflect on today. What question is God asking you 
this morning. As you're listening to Jonah chapter 4, as God's a question asker there, poking and probing Jonah's heart, what's God or poking or probing in you this morning? Often when God speaks to us, it's in the form of a question. What question is God asking you this morning? I'll give you a couple minutes to think about that, journal about that.